It is an honor and a privilege to hear from Dave and Betsy Scott this evening. They've been ministering faithfully in Croatia, and we're excited to hear um, what God has been doing, what God is currently doing, and what God is going to do in the future through their ministry. So let's give a welcome to Dave and Betsy Scott. underneath people here, or I saw you last night. So this is going to be my introduction slide, the picture of my family and my kids. Um, but many of you, many of you uh, uh, know us quite well, and, and um, tonight I guess I'll be the one sharing a little bit um, about our life in Croatia. Um, but first, I stumbled on, I don't know if any of you know the Morse family, some of you do of course, but I asked Carolyn Morris for a picture of uh, me and Alan, uh, and, and that's also a picture of Neil Esty on the right. So that's Neil on the right, and Alan on the left. And the funny thing is about this picture this morning, I pulled it up on my computer and I said, JJ, look at this picture. I said, I don't remember when you went sledding. Like, I don't remember this, I remember that sweatshirt on you, and he's looking at it, and he's saying, Dad, I don't, I don't remember either. I'm like, it's me! I look at the picture, it looks just like him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, JJ. But there it is. Um, but this past week or so that we've been here has been quite strange for me. This is obviously where I grew up. I, you know, I grew up destroying this church in a variety of ways. And I was on the ENC campus last week and talking with the pastor of the Wallace Church there, Stretch. And he said, how did a punk kid like you end up where you are today? And I took mild offense to that, but it was actually quite accurate. And, um, you know, it, it was, it's a hard question to answer, and it actually has been something, not that I've been wrestling with, but I've been thinking about uh, since he asked that question. Because there have been times when I've been in the middle of something, and I don't know what I'm doing, and there's chaos all around, and for some reason I snap out of it. And I literally am like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Um, and as I was thinking about this, I thought about uh, the story in the book of Matthew when Jesus called his first disciples. So let me read that real quick. It's from Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And this is what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And this question of how did a punk kid from Quincy end up being a missionary in Croatia, thought so much about this little story about Jesus calling these first disciples because when you know a little bit about the context, you realize this was a radical thing to do. I mean, at the time, a rabbi, a teacher, would have called the best and the brightest. And I'm not knocking myself down, but I'm not the best and the 
And I'm not going to knock you guys down, but you're probably not either. But I see this in the story that Jesus, that's not what he does. He doesn't call the best and brightest. He's not like every other teacher. He calls a bunch of fishermen. He says, guys, come follow me. And they just drop everything they did and followed him. So uh, who knows how many years ago now, you know, Betsy and I were, were just newly married, and we felt we needed to go to seminary so we'd be better prepared for what international missions meant. And we kind of took that step of faith. And I felt that if I was called to something, I needed to go. So where we went was Croatia. And, you know, we, we were here a couple years ago and, and even here last night and talked a little bit about Croatia. But in case you don't know, there it is. Now we're all on the same page. Uh, I didn't know where it was when I got asked to move there, so I had to look at a map, Google map. What, what is Croatia? Is that a country? So there it is. Now we know. So that's Croatia. So what we do there is we are church planters. Um, so we are church planters for the Church of the Nazarene, but it's kind of a little bit... For us, it's a little bit bigger than that because we're also denominational planters. There are no other church of the Nazarene there. Um, strangely enough, there has been a group called the Nazarenes in this part of the world for you know decades, and they're more or less a cult. So that makes our job incredibly difficult because we need to go there and say, hey, we're the church of the Nazarene, but we're not those guys. Um, and that's hard. So what do you do when you go to a new country and you need to establish not only a church but a denomination where the name of your church and your denomination makes people think of a cult? Um, so what we kind of did was we, we looked at the country as a whole and we said, okay, so this is a Catholic country. And what does that mean if we are, we are Protestant church planters, we are Nazarene church planters? And this analogy came to mind that we thought of Croatia like a tea-drinking country. So let's pretend Croatia, all the Croatians drink is tea. They drink tea all the time. But we are coffee drinkers. And the problem is, this tea-drinking country, they think coffee will kill them. And that's our church-planting environment. We are in a church-planting environment where, more or less, they think what we have to offer is some kind of poison, it's some kind of weirdness, and not just because of this Nazarene name, but because this is a very Catholic country. And to have anything outside of that is wrong, is bad. Uh, good friends of ours, my best friend there, Robbie, and his brother, when they decided to leave the Catholic Church and join a Protestant church, their family disowned them. And that is not uncommon. Um, that is the situation that we are functioning within or trying to function in. So what we did, instead of trying to open a, you know, set open a building and put a sign on the outside that says Church of the Nazarene, not those Nazarenes. Please come in. Because we said this isn't going to work. No one's going to drink this coffee. No one's going to go for this. We needed to use our lives to show what this meant, to show what the love of Jesus means in a practical way, to show what the Church of the Nazarene stands for. Um, and we did that in a number of ways. So one of the first things we ended up doing is through meeting friends and relationships and we ended up starting, and I think we talked about this a couple years ago, the first second-hand shop in the whole country, where all of the profits and everything goes to help those who need help the most. Um, and it was a wonderful 
event, a wonderful thing. It's still going now, and we have since handed that off to the couple that we started it with. So they run it completely now, which is great. And there's a second shop that's opened, and wonderful things are happening. And God continues to use that space and the new space um, in amazing ways. Um, we also have done a lot in the Roma community. So Roma, it's, it's what gypsies are called in Croatia. Uh, gypsy is kind of like a swear word for, for the Roma people in Croatia. Um, so we do an, a number of things in Roma villages with kids and adults and Bible studies through our volunteers and, 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 and different ways like that, which is kind of, that. this is where my heart lies uh, are with in this, these Roma ministries. And, and if you, it's hard to understand this context in America because there's not, I guess in America we don't have a poverty like the Roma have. I mean, we have poverty here in America, but the Roma, you know, oftentimes are living in garbage. They're looked at like animals um, by the Croatians, and all of, you know, most Europeans look at them like they're less than human. I mean, there was a pastor, a trained theologian who wanted to be the first Nazarene pastor. This was a number of years ago, and I was so excited because we're here, we're Nazarene church planters. This guy understands our theology and really wants, he wants in. So we started doing some Nazarene classes and, and some membership class type stuff just so they'd understand everything and he would periodically throw in a joke here and there and eventually I finally asked him so what, what it seems like you joke about the Roman people what what's the deal with that and he said very matter-of-factly oh well I don't really want them in my church because they're not actually human I mean God made them missing like with DNA missing DNA so they're not going to heaven anyway so I don't why bother having them in my church they're very serious and I had never heard anything but I, and I talked to some people about this, and they said this is kind of a typical attitude towards these people. So one of the ways that we bring Christ's love in this country is through this partnership with Roma families and Roma leaders and working with kids and just saying, hey, let's do this together. Let's go on this journey together. So that's a wonderful thing. But we do so many different things. We just started, a, we just opened our community center maybe a year or so ago. We talked about a little bit the last time we were here, and it's kind of gotten to full swing. So there are so many wonderful things happening inside and outside of this little space that we have. Um, Betsy and some ladies started an event called, called Valuing Life, where they, it's an event for empowerment of women. Uh, women uh, are oftentimes not given a chance to excel or don't feel like they have the worth to do something. Um, so this is an opportunity for women to come together and support each other and encourage each other, uh, whether it's in a, in a small business or a good idea or a way that they're helping people. Um, and it's just this beautiful thing. The Bible studies creativity night that my mom, Amy Scott, is running, which is wonderful. Those are every other week when she's there. And those are always looked forward to by people, and they were sought out before they even got here. People were excited to have them coming. Um, English stuff and, you know, outside of the church we're doing kids clubs and discipleship with people in a variety of ways. Um, ecumenical partnerships like working with the Roma people and, and different things like that. So it's interesting and it's fun and it's challenging and who knows. But one of the biggest challenges and exciting things that's happened this past year, um, this fr that friend, that best friend of mine who had to leave his family um, was kicked out of his out of his home, Roby Galich. He uh, approached me about a year and a half or so ago and said, my family and I would like to help you guys start the First Nazarene Church. And 
he's my closest friend. Um, and this is something we have been praying for literally since, since we had met this family because they're just amazing people. He does look like Osama bin Laden, so that is a little bit of a drawback, but he loves it. That he, does. He, he likes to be shocking a little bit. But he's, uh, he's loving and funny and crazy, and his wife is awesome and smart, and they are just great people. So about a year ago, we started uh, the first Church of the Nazarene. It's our church plant um, in Croatia. And it's been amazing. I mean, people, a couple of ladies that Betsy met, one through school and one through women's Bible study, have really taken, like they, this Nazarene theology that we take for granted is so new in this country. The idea of grace is like, has blown people's minds. And we think about it, oh, grace, yes, grace. No, this is like life-changing. Grace and freedom. This is not a, a religion of oppression and control, which is what they've known to this point. So people are hearing this for the first time and saying, this is what this is all about. Like, this grace, this is it. Um, so it's been a really wild adventure having this church plant start about a year ago, and changing and growing, and there's a lot of growing pains. Betsy's the pastor of the church, and she's wonderful, and she's a great teacher, and people are really growing in their faith and growing in their understanding of theology, and it's really neat to see. Um, and a, a lot has changed over the past six months, and specifically in our church over the past few months, and a lot of it is in regards to the refugee situation. Um, the refugee situation changed uh, and affected us directly about six months ago, maybe uh, six or seven months ago. And it changed a lot because this flow of refugees ended up coming right to our doorstep. I mean, 10 minutes from our house is the border with Slovenia. And one day, because borders were closing all over Europe, the line of refugees, thousands per day, came right through you know, our neighborhood and right next door to us. So kind of from day one, we jumped in as the Church of the Nazarene with tents and clothing and food and whatever they needed. Um, the Church of the Nazarene was there. It's not just us. There are volunteers and other people who came to help. It was wonderful and crazy and to see, you know, people coming together to really help people who really needed it the most. Um, and as politics tend to do, things changed a lot and it became like kind of a refugee chase, which sounds strange, but these are people who needed so much. And so they would cut them off and say, you can't be at this border anymore. You need to go to this camp. So then we started volunteering in camp. And that's difficult in itself just to get to be able to volunteer in a camp. So then we would get in these camps. And, you know, one of the camps um, uh, was designed to hold about 5,000 people. And at the time, 10,000 per day were coming through. And the Croatian government had no kind of resources for this. So they weren't providing much except police. Red Cross was controlling everything very tightly, but they didn't have resources. So any food that was coming in were from Nazarene Church, Baptist Church, other organizations that came from all over Europe and all over the world to just help how they could. Um, but the stories that we encountered, I mean, we would just go for shifts of about 12 hours uh, per shift. And we'd just hang out, and we would spend time with kids. I mean, I spent one whole day just playing with kids because I can't wrap my mind around what they've been through. Um, the horrors that they've seen, their homes and lives being destroyed. Um, but just to be able to 
Like I said earlier, I can't, you know, I, I can't put a Church of the Nazarene sign on my chest and hold out a Bible and say, come on over, everyone. You know, this is, this is going to be great. They probably won't come, but I can go out there and I can play soccer with them. Now, granted, that day there wasn't a soccer ball. I just had a rock. At the end of the day, my foot, I really had a bruise on my foot. It was terrible. I didn't know until I took my shoe off at night. Why is my foot sore? Oh, there it is. So, so we spent a lot of time in the camp. Um, and after one of these 12-hour shifts, our group decided, let's go and see what it's like right on the border. So these camps, we were, Betsy and I, our family live on the Slovenian side of Croatia. These camps were over on the Serbian side. So what we wanted to see was what was happening right at the border with Serbia. We, these are where people are coming through in order to just get into this camp. So let's, let's go and see what it's like. So we showed up at this uh, border called Babska. It's a little town called Babska. And we crested this hill. And we didn't know what we were going to find when we got there. But when we crested the hill, there were just thousands of people backed up along this road with fences, makeshift fences, and riot police. And it was absolute mayhem. It was just chaos. And we were, I mean, we just wanted to go to see what, it was, what was there so we could inform people. Like, this is what we've seen. This is what you can pay for. But when you show up and children are crying and women are screaming and everyone is it's just absolute madness. It was, and, and just so we all know, the whole time Croatian police were wonderful, as much as they could be, but it was a disaster there. Um, there were so many thousands of people just screaming, just let us through, let us through. And there were maybe, I don't know, 20 or so, 30 riot police trying to contain thousands and thousands of people. So they would have the front few hundred sit down and, and then they would grab a few and pull them through the gate and tell them to get on the bus, go to the bus, go to the bus. But these people had been scrunched down sometimes for hours and hours. And they would just grab someone and pull them through. And for the men, what would happen with them, they would stand up and they would either instantly cramp or they didn't have any feeling in their legs, so they would just fall down. Boom. This is what we walked up to. We thought we were just going to look around. Or if, the, if they grabbed a woman and pulled her through, almost almost all of them fainted right away. So we just spent the next eight or so hours dragging cramped men and fainted women out from the chaos. I mean, this is mass thousands of people pushing and shoving and police yelling, all in different languages. Kids had somehow made their way through or something, so their kids wandering around with no parents. Uh, it was, I mean, by far the hardest thing I've ever seen one of those things where you have, you know, you see these images on TV, these commercials that try and pull your heartstrings about, you know, some terrible situation, and this was it. I didn't, you know, th I was in the middle of this terrible situation. And this, uh, this was one of those moments where I remember in the middle of all this people, you know, screaming and yelling, and I mentally just stepped out for a second. How did I get here? And then I just jumped back in. This is, I don't know, but this is where God has me. So there were, you know, one time I just stood with a boy. He just wanted desperately to get back to his family that was right across this police guard line and fences. And I could see the dad yelling, that's my son, that's my son. So I looked him in the eye, and we don't speak the same language, and I just said, you and me, like, together, I'll wait with you. And I stood there with him 
while we waited for the next hour or so until someone grabbed his dad and pulled him through. And his dad was so angry. He said perfectly, his English was great. And, you know, I heard his anger in English. This is not human. You can't treat us like this. We are people. This is not fair. That's my son. You can't take me from my son. And it was a time like this and countless other times where I said, I, I'm here because I care. I'm here because God loves you. I, under, I, I know I'm here for you. I'm here. And he angrily took his son and kept going. And I don't know what that meant to him. I'll never know. But I just know that I was where God wanted me to be. Um, and one of the other days, we ended up at a train station called Tovarnik. So at this train station, uh, they would come from this chaos border. They'd go to a camp to be registered, and then they'd go to a train station to hopefully get on a train and go to the next country over, Slovenia. So we were at this train station to hand out food as people, they would bring these buses full of people, and they would get them off the buses. We'd hand them a bag of food if we had some, and they would get on the, on the train. And I think one of the slides says there, you know, there was room for 1,600 people on the train if just the women and children had a seat and the men stood. And this whole process from when they were loading the train to when they got off the train in Slovenia could take eight, nine, ten hours. Um, and these are people who hadn't eaten. Some of them hadn't eaten for days. Some countless, I mean, most of them hadn't slept. Um, and, these are, and this is after they've left their country that's been taken from them, that's been blown up, destroyed. Um, I mean, I, we saw people who have walked for weeks in flip-flops or crocs or shoes that are destroyed. And uh, one of the slides showed um, shoes. And the Church of the Nazarene really came around this situation. And, kind of, and you may have heard of the, you know, the shoe drive for the refugees. And this was it. I mean, I was out there buying shoes and handing them out. So this stuff, when, when we're able as missionaries to come and share what's happening, we want you to know that tithe and World Evangelism Fund and all of these things, they make a difference. I mean, they're actually happening. Um, so at this train station where, you know, people are in just the worst conditions you can think of and people in wheelchairs, handicapped people, everyone, um, trying to get on these trains, which is this train to their, what they see as their freedom, this is their hope. And on this train to freedom, it had loaded up almost completely and it was about ready to go. And I remember a dad came off the train and was yelling something, yelling something. And someone said, he's, he's missing his son. His son is missing. So they came over to me and said, can you help? I guess. I don't know. Again, I don't know what I'm doing, but yes, let's go. So he and I went down from it's a huge train, the monstrous train. And we went from one end to the other yelling, come out. Where are you? Where are you? Come out, please, please. You're in there, come out. We yell window to window, door to door, down this huge train. And the police are starting to get bothered. They don't care all that much. I mean, they care, but they can't because it's so chaotic. They just want the train to go because the next group is coming. So it's getting more and more desperate, and we're getting towards the end of the train, and I'm trying to think, how do I, how do I walk alongside this father whose son is not with him, who has lost his son? I don't know what I'm going to do. And get to the end of the train... And I take a deep breath, and I, and I turn to, to say something. And a kid pops off the middle of the train and screams for his father. And the father turns around and yells for his son. And as I watch them run together and embrace with tears and weeping, I see that the son is 
same as my, as my JJ. He's the same size, probably the same age. And I can't imagine what this family's life has been like. I can't imagine what they were going through, even in that moment. I can't Im it was hard enough when we were missing JJ for three weeks because he had to finish school, and it was so hard for me. Imagine if my city was blown up, and I was in a country that no one understood me, and I didn't understand them, and I didn't know where my son was. I, it's just too much for me to think about. And someone reminded us recently that it's a similar situation that Jesus has with us. That we're that kid on the train, and Jesus is walking up and down saying, Dave, Tim, Esther, come out, come out, come with me. And he doesn't give up. And he's there calling each of us, calling our neighbors, calling our family members, calling our co-workers, calling our friends. And it were times like these where, whether it's refugee work or whether it's church planting with Robbie who looks like Osama bin Laden or whether it's valuing life for women or all of these things that this punk kid from Quincy is like, I might be a punk kid from Quincy, but this is where God has me. And I guess my encouragement for you is we're, we're all fishermen. We can read this, and Jesus called the fishermen. He called us. He called the punks from Quincy. He called the people in this room. It's not the, 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 the big secret that I'm going to let out about missionaries. We're not anything special. You guys are all called. We are called there. That's great. You're called somewhere else. That's also great. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. You couldn't be there with me, but I can't be there with you. So, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's it's hard to be back here and wonderful to be back here. That this is where I watched JJ running around these rooms and wreaking havoc, and I remember that was me, and he looks like me, and I feel like it's me running around these rooms. And so the step back into this and realize that that God is using me and God wants to use all of us is an amazing and beautiful thing um, so there are a few things that I would like if you could to pray for um, there's a little list I think somewhere and these are just some things to keep in your mind um, as we, we leave here tonight and one in particular the refugee ministry since this chaos has, in our part of Europe, settled down a little bit. Uh, many of these uh, refugees are in Zagreb, in our town. And we, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, the Nazarene volunteers are very hard at work within the actual refugee housing units to provide, right now, English, very soon, kids programs. We just got accepted by Red Cross to do kids programs, uh, which is very difficult. Um, also, our refugee coordinators, Karen and Chris, have been, they've been in these camps from the beginning and have established the Church of the Nazarene as a denomination as people, as a group of people who care and follow through with what they say. And so they have been in planning with different refugee events with, with the ministers of the country. I mean, these are, we're in these conversations. Um, and I want specific prayer, if you could, for tomorrow, tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, there 
uh, there was supposed to be this past Friday a, a, um, a gospel sharing time. And it got postponed to this Monday or Tuesday. But what it is are some of the refugees who have seen what we're doing and have seen Chris and Karen, the other volunteers, and have been to our church. Some of them have been to our church. They, these are our Muslim people. They want to know what this Jesus thing is all about. There's a group of about ten who, they, 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 their religion, they said, I've heard this from a number of people, their religion is a religion of fear. And they're experiencing this something different. These are people of love. These are people of compassion. And they honestly want to know. So thinking all the way back to this tea and coffee and we can't set out a sign, but we can be the love of Christ. This is happening where we are. I know it's happening here. But I, w- I, w- I want, if you can, specific prayer for these next couple of days. For the hearts of these men and women who come to hear the gospel for the first time. What is this Jesus all about that I feel? Tell me about it. So I just ask that we as a whole church and you guys as Bethel Church can, can keep that um, in your prayers. So just I want you to know, to, you know, just a question that I guess I wanted to, to leave with you. How does God want to use you? And that's a question, as a missionary, we ask on a daily basis sometimes. How does God want to use you today? And I challenge you guys to ask that same question every day. How does God want to use you today? Um, so if you could pray with us tomorrow, that would be great. And, and let's pray together right now. Father, Sometimes uh, we don't understand the world, and we don't understand you. And God, you use people like us, even though you don't have to, but you chose to. God, whether we are in the midst of refugee chaos, or the midst of family chaos, or the midst of difficult job situation, whatever it is, know that you're there, and you're there with us. We ask that you give us the opportunity and you give us the courage to be your light in those dark places. God, I ask that you be with this special community. And I know Germantown's a tough, a tough situation. I ask that this church continue to be a light in this city and that people understand that this is a place of grace. There's something different about this place. There's something different about the people that walk out of these doors and walk into their neighborhoods and share your love with their neighbors and their friends and their families. And God, over the next couple of days, I ask that you be with our church back in Croatia. I ask that ultimately your love just be shown. No matter what is said, no matter what is talked about, just let it draw people to you. I don't care if a single refugee ever becomes a Nazarene. I just want them to know you, God. I want them to understand your love in a real way. So God, I thank you for the opportunity me and my family to be back here home to share your love a little bit here and feel your love also from those around us. We love you, God, and we thank you. In your son's name, amen.